today. Cork today with JP McNamara on C103. And good morning, welcome to Monday's Cork Today, JP, until 1. Bernie taking your calls and comments on 0818103103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. Of course, you can always email across the show corktoday at c103.ie and ahead on the programme, we're going to speak to Rebecca. Rebecca used to live and work in the Atlas Mountains in Morocco where the epicentre of that awful earthquake took place on Friday evening uh, last uh, international search teams now are arriving in Morocco this morning to help with the rescue efforts following that earthquake where more than 2,000 people have been killed and a further 2,500 injured in the tremor which hit on Friday but a number of aftershocks are occurring and one did occur yesterday afternoon uh, we'll speak with Rebecca O'Shea very shortly on the programme uh, but also on this morning's show calls for the review of school transport to be published urgently as again this year problems arose on students trying to get a school by public school transport and even though we have dealt with this every year for the last five years the review has not been published to why indeed we have those students at crossroads and no bus arriving for them and then it's up to various parents to uh, try and arrange some scheme uh, to bring students to the nearest school. Uh, There obviously is an issue and even though school principals are getting involved to try and solve this it still is a big issue for many areas of Cork. We'll discuss that shortly also on the programme and how students are being targeted to become money mules. Now this is seemingly a bigger problem this year than it has been over the last number of years. It's on the increase because mainly students at the moment are trying to find accommodation which is tough trying to find accommodation for anybody but for students even more so because you're not earning as much as a worker uh, so the financial cost is bigger and as the rents get higher even with student accommodation uh, students are doing anything they can to get a bit of extra money and this is why this year uh, they're being targeted to transfer money into their bank account and then basically back out again Uh, but because you are involved in transferring large sums of money uh, it's uh, going to be picked up on by the bank and if you are found out to be involved in fraud, then that student could be prosecuted. And that has a huge effect on them for later in life if they want to go travelling or whatever. It may seem very attractive uh, to get involved in this and get a bit of extra money. And you'll think no one will notice, but banks will notice when big money is being transferred between accounts. So we'll be speaking with Fraud Smart this morning on this. And they're warning not only students, but everybody to be extra careful because no matter how attractive it seems, it does uh, indeed end uh, negatively for everybody involved, mainly uh, the person uh, who was being uh, fraud, who was committing the fraud, I suppose, the student or the young person and those who were running the scheme get away with it, unfortunately, unless they can track them down. Anyhow, that's on the way. Also, uh, we're going to hear how in West Kerry, a group of farmers have come together and they're going to try anyhow and cut their energy costs by going solar. We'll speak with them later in the programme. And today is the 22nd anniversary of 9-11 and we're going to hear about a memorial garden which was established in Kinsale as New York firefighters visited the garden last month. Uh, We'll speak with those involved in the garden later in the programme and of course from 12.30, Annalisa Drizel answer all your questions 
questions for your nutritional advice she would give you if you have a nutritional question for Annalisa get that into us right across the morning you can call Bernie on 0818 103 103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 some good news though over the weekend for workers I think a day doesn't go by certainly a week does not go by where we get calls from workers who say with all the talk of the budget why are they not looking at the USC the Universal Social Charge which was introduced as a measure basically to get the country out of a hole during the recession when money was needed so they put extra tax on all of us workers Uh, but now it seems the cut in the band of USC uh, could be coming down in the next budget next month and this will be seen as most relevant to the squeezed middle Uh, the rate of 4.5% of USC that applies to all income from around 22,000 euros to 70,000 euros but over the weekend the finance minister Cork South Central Deputy Michael McGrath he is looking to cut this to 4% which would roughly save workers in and around 235 euros a year and the new rate then would be double the 2% rate applying to the earliest USC band and that goes from those earning around 13,000 a year to roughly 22,000 a year. So the standard income tax rate is pegged at 20% with a balance at 40% so it could deliver further savings to hard pressed workers who at the moment are you know watching the fuel prices watching the mortgage rates go up watching the rents go up so anything would help those workers who get up early in the morning and uh, you know go out to work to pay their bills so that will be welcome if that does come uh, some people will say it should need more than 235 euros it would be nice if they could cut it further or get rid of it totally as a lot of callers would say it was supposed to be just brought in uh, for a number of years if we are out of recession then why are we still paying this USC uh, it's a very very unfair tax on workers and there would be a call for it to be scrapped but at least if they're talking about reducing it it's a good thing in a way we would rather they'll see it gone and uh, then for pensioners as well also some good news for pensioners on the way because the state pensions are due to rise. Uh, the pension is set to increase in the next budget as well next month along with the fuel allowance. So that will result in some older people receiving more than €300 Euros during winter next year. Uh, the Tonish and Michal Martin, well, he confirmed this across the weekend as well. Uh, he was in Cork McSherry, of course, at the launch of the naming of the new Arnalai uh, boat there, a lifeboat in Cork McSherry. But he did say that there will be pension increases in in this budget, uh, while it is also expected the fuel allowance will rise, it could do, and it's understood that this may be achieved through a bonus payment instead of increasing the actual rate of fuel allowance, that there'll be some type of bonus system uh, this year regarding that fuel allowance. Details are not yet finalised. Negotiations are continuing this week regarding the budget and we'll know more about that over the next number of days and weeks, I'm sure. But at least it's... For pensioners and for workers, there might be some relief on the way. Uh, lines open 0818 103 103, text or WhatsApp 0862 103 Now, uh, experts are warning the next number of days will be critical for saving lives following the Morocco earthquake. Uh, thousands have already been confirmed dead and that death toll is expected to rise as search and rescue crews battle to access the hard-to-reach mountainous areas. Uh, Rebecca O'Shea joins me. Uh, she used to live in that area. Uh, good morning to you, Rebecca. Good morning, JP. Now, Morocco has been hit by aftershocks of this terrible earthquake from last Friday night. Uh, First of all, the region in where it's hit, uh, you'll be familiar with this region because you lived there for uh, nearly seven years. It's a very mountainous region. 
it's extremely mountainous with uh, long valleys. So the people would live on the sides of the valleys in um, mud-built houses mostly, although some of them are building concrete. And then the bottom of the valley would be where they would graze their few animals and grow their fruits and nuts and plants and, and herbs and, you know, their, their, their food. And while uh, you were there, the work you did, just describe the work you did there with local people in the area and why this is so devastating. So um, I kind of went over there, um, as you said, like uh, I was there for seven years and I made um, made it kind of my business, I suppose, to explore the area. So I did a lot of hiking uh, up in the mountains and the valleys and got to know uh, local people working in tourism. And I started working with a local guy in one of the villages and helping bring groups over. So um, I would have had groups from America, from Ireland, from the UK and other places, as well as individuals who wanted to explore a bit deeper. So because I fell in love with the area and the, the beautiful people that lived there, I wanted to share that. So by bringing people into their area rather than into the big touristic areas, they got a real sense of the true Morocco and the hospitality that's there. Very similar to the old, the way the Irish people are, you know, you're welcomed in with the tea and cake and so on, and they make you feel at home, you know. So they have very little to give, but they will give you everything they have. And you receive the real Morocco when you go to this type of region and you meet the people that, that live in the region. And the way you describe it there initially, Rebecca, it's a, it seems to be anyhow a poorer part of Morocco. It is. And these are the indigenous people of Morocco. They're the Amazir people, or sometimes they're known as Berber, but they're Amazir people. And they have their own language. They have their own culture, their own music. And they live almost hand to mouth. They grow everything they can grow. They have their own kind of local markets where everything comes down and, you know, they buy from each other. They really do live almost hand to mouth and they are not supported very much from outside. And those holidaymakers who were in Morocco, some are affected by this. Others then were many kilometres away from the epicentre of the quake. You have the valleys coming off from the epicentre, which are the worst devastated because they're very mountainous. They're very remote. Um, like even, for example, the village where I lived, there, there was no way into the village by vehicle. You had to take a, a, lo- a donkey or a mule to take your shopping home. So getting into these villages is extremely difficult. There's massive rockfall, landslides, um, you know, all the roads are all blocked. So people just can't get in to even, you know, see what's happened and, who, you know, what's I was talking to a colleague this morning because um, I just wanted to call him after I'd been asked to talk to you and say, what do you need? What's happening? And the village next to his, he said, it's gone. The The village over the, the other side of the mountain, 20 people dead. People were just, their houses were collapsing around them while they slept. My God, they had no hope. So really at the hour of the night, it hit people were on the beds. had no hope. Sorry if I get emotional, but I know a lot of people that live in those regions I visited their houses. I've sat down and had lunch and tea with them. I brought, brought you know, um, tourists to their houses. I I know these people and 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 I know I know what, you know, they need they need food and shelter predominantly and first aid. Um, like eventually they'll be able to rebuild their houses. They'll help each other to rebuild um, because they're mud built houses, so they can use some of what's around them to help build their houses. 
but they need food. They need, you know, shelter. The government's giving them a few tents, but the nights are getting cold. Um, you know, we're talking about a region that's above the height of of Karanthur, um, you know, so they're there. It's cold. And when you say cold, how cold would the nights get? Uh, well, I've been there when we've had snow um, and it's, you know, minus five and so on. But at this time of the year, it's co- it's too cold to be sleeping outside. And with villages, as you described, basically falling apart due to the earthquake. I mean, these are villages where people would live, where they do their you know daily routines. They yeah. swap their food, as you mentioned there, their shopping, all of that is done. Yeah. And they've just been wiped away. Some villages... There is virtually nothing left and, and and no way for people. You know, I spoke to Rashid uh, earlier and he said there's a, one particular village uh, on, in the next valley over. He said it's 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 just gone. He said, but nobody can get in there. There's no Internet. There's no electricity. There's no way of contacting anybody to know how bad the damage is. But people are going on foot across the mountains to, to see what's happening in other little villages. It's a very historic area. I was reading up about the area this morning. I mean, there's a World Heritage Site impacted by this also. Uh, So a lot of history will have been destroyed over the last number of days. There's one particular um, mosque uh, over in the valley near where the epicentre was, Tinmel Mosque, which is 12th century uh, mosque, and it's the birthplace of the the Almohad dynasty. So it's massively historic. Um, it's a big, big loss to the country, you know. And the last um, destructive think, quake I think they had there was in the 1960s. So when you were speaking yeah. to Rashid earlier, I mean, how can the Irish help? What could be done to help these people now? He said what they need is money to buy food and some kind of shelters. I mean, people are calling him to ask to borrow tents because uh, he, he runs his own company. Um uh, doing hiking and stuff in the mountains and they need first aid. So they need money and first aid. And that's the priority at the moment to, to get things uh, and to help people. Absolutely. And um, where can they be donated to? Is, is Do you know of any place set up at the moment? Yeah, so uh, there's one um, English girl actually, she's living in Imlil village, which is at the top of the valley I was living in. She has a GoFundMe uh, currently running, she's. I think she's already raised nearly nine thousand pounds on hers. I've shared, I've shared all these on my Facebook pages and on our websites and stuff because, you know, we need help now. Um, so there's that one. Uh, there's several GoFundMe's. Um, there's the Amal Center in Marrakesh, which is uh, run by local woman who brings in women from the mountains and trains them to, to, so that they can have jobs. Um, so, uh, but what I would say is donate to these small places because the money will go directly in. So Selena, for example, she's already coordinated with the local president of nine villages to make sure that the money goes where it's needed immediately. Um, so I would encourage anybody that wants to donate to do it with the smaller ones rather than the, the big ones because it won't reach these people. It'll reach the cities only. Yeah, and it's good that it will go to those areas that need it and the regions you spoke about there. So they'll be directly helped rather than it going somewhere else and the money just being filtered through later. Uh, for the moment, Rebecca, yeah. thanks for joining us uh, this morning. I know Morocco have declared three days of national mourning uh, during which the national flag will be flown at half mast throughout the country uh, and the entire yeah. world will be thinking of everybody in Morocco. But thank you for joining us this morning.
Thank you. That is Rebecca O'Shea, uh, who, as you heard, spent a lot of time in that area of the Atlas Mountains, worked and toured there and knows a lot of those who were affected. And while they are doing their best to help those in that area, uh, if you want to get involved, if you are willing to help out and donate and donate items. I know they're looking at the moment for drivers as well, if someone's willing to drive across the continent and help out. We have Rebecca's details. We'll also share those GoFundMe uh, pages she mentioned later in the afternoon as well on our social media pages but uh, we have details for Rebecca if you do wish to contact her and help out on that our lines are open 0818103103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862103103 Cork today on C103 The review into the school transport network needs to be published without further delay according to one Cork senator and we still in certain areas of Cork have people who are unable even this morning to access school transport via uh, the uh, current network that is uh, and remains in various areas of Cork. I know we had calls this morning again from various areas such as Watergrass Hill and different areas in West Cork and in the, the Kinsale and Banahasic areas. Anyhow, Senator Tim Lumber joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Tim. Good morning. Tim, every year and for years, and you'll be aware of this, we get reviews into the transport of school, but nothing ever becomes of this. And the same issues arise around August and September, then year on year. In 2021, there was an interim report published, but the current scheme is based on findings from 2012. And even since then, the amount of areas that have changed, population bases that have changed, and whereby you may have, for example, in Banahasic, Bishop Sound could be an option, but now Kinsale is also an option. So things have have changed, but this report hasn't seen the public light yet. No, look, we're waiting 31 months for the Minister to publish this report. She published an internal report on this issue maybe um, maybe eight or nine months ago, which brought forward minor, minor changes. But the full report we're talking about hasn't been published. It's a 31-month delay. And like you're dead right, the criteria we're working on here now goes back to 2012. And like we have huge issues across the entire transport network when it comes to school transportation. We have areas that are pinch points on a continuous yearly basis. And I speak about Balanhasic, I speak about places like Minam Bridge, also places like Peddler's Cross, Aliol, all totally affected year on year. And what happens in those locations is there's a crossover. They're probably not the first, the near school, they're probably the second near school, or even in some cases like Balhasic, the third near school. And I think Balhasic is a very unique story because you, in Balhasic, some go to Bandon, some go to Kinsale, some go to Bishopstown, or even some can go to Town or Carrigaline. It's just a geographical nature where Balhasic is. What we've been asking for within this review and with our submission was that all children deserve to get on a school bus. And I think we need to move away from concessionary which are basically people that don't fit the criteria that set out on literally a memorandum in 2012. And you're so right, John Paul. The world has changed in a day. Like even on the environmental impacts of going to school. We've seen it ourselves when the kids go back to school. The traffic has built up dramatically. If we had every child on a school bus, that would limit our actual carbon footprint straight away. But the real issue here is we have families that cannot plan from year to year. They have been given a ticket for this year. They might lose it for next year. They might get it again for the year after. That is no way to actually live their lives. And they're waiting every August to see do they get the ticket or not.
Yeah, you should be. If a child starts school, you know he's going to be going to that same school for the next number of years. And there should be a set time of three to five years that you know you'll, you'll have that ticket. Uh, and you make a good point there. While we're all being asked to leave the cars at home and use public transport, every parent we speak to, every student we speak to is willing to do that, but they can't get the bus to get to the school. So while we're being told one thing from the government, then we can't do it because we don't have the school transport and people have to drive. And that's why we have the huge tailbacks every single morning and huge tailbacks, especially near schools. Uh, but while you could be blaming the department forever, have bus airing a responsibility as well, because uh, since we started this conversation, we've had a number of calls and texts from people who have uh, children uh, travelling to special needs schools where they are left with no transport. Yeah, and uh, there's two issues there. One is bus airing, like the temporary uh, alleviation measures that were brought forward in February, um, 20, in June twenty. 21 allow for the second school to be taken into consideration. Now we have a different criteria being applied by the actual bus airing itself regarding this issue. Um, I'll give you an example. In Balhasic, there was nine qualified under this TAMS for special um, alleviation measures and they were able to get the bus. But in, down towards um, Ross Carberry, we have nine, we have five kids who want to go to Ross Carberry and they don't qualify, even though it's stated in the actual memorandum that was brought forward in June. So we have different interpretations been taken by bus airing regarding what are those temporary alleviation measures, which are only a halfway house in many ways to where we are at the moment. So they are a real serious issue. Like bus airing have an awful amount to play here. Like I'll give you another example. We have four children going to Laura National School in Bandon and the operator has contacted us saying, I have a bigger bus, no problem. I can change the size of the bus. We have the driver and we can sort this issue out straight away. Bus Aaron will not agree to that because of the criteria set out in 2012. So Bus Aaron, in many ways, need to play and work with us regarding these issues. There's an awful lot of these issues are, each, are, are can be worked through locally. At the moment, I think we need to do more regarding those really, really pinch point issues. And the criteria you mentioned there, by the way, from 2012, is that set out by the government to Bus Aaron or by the department? It is. It is set up by the department, and that's what the minister is reviewing. But the the actual temporary alleviation measures was also set out in June 2021, which allowed for the second school to be taken into consideration. But Bosserna are taking a different interpretation on it. In Valhasic, they allow the nine. For Ross Carberry, they won't allow the five. So we have a huge issue about interpretation here. So if they were allowing the interpretation, the issue you mentioned there in Lara National School near Bandon, uh, then that would be sorted for the catchment area of that school, which is located in between Bandon and Newtonstown. And that would solve that issue, which would also solve issues in other rural areas across Cork. Uh, Do bus errands, so I mean, is it a case that sometimes bus errands are too slow off the ground when they know the issue is going to be coming around in September and in August? Should they be looking at this at the start of the year? Seems like when you delve into this with, with concessionary tickets and everything else that they they go looking at how things will run in the summer months, which is too late. Yeah, look, we all we I can actually tell you the pinch points straight away next year because you know exactly the same areas that are affected every year. So we're looking at a scenario that you know that the Banhassens, the Manan Bridges, the the Laura National Schools, these are all pinch points because they're on crossroads between other schools and we know exactly that that's going to be the area. So Bus Aaron need to take a look at these literally for next year now because you have a really good idea what the figures are. They don't dramatically change. You know who's affected. You know even the families at this stage that's going to be affected. So you could put a strategy in place now that you can look at those catchment areas and see what plan you could do regarding actual 
buses in particular, the majority of these issues can be sorted by changing the size of the buses and talking to the operators. And in fairness, and they've been really active and they've been on the office and off lot, they have capacity within the actual system to do it. Most of these private operators have bigger buses that can actually cater for the children that's required. But for that to happen, I think bus air need to be proactive. They need to actively go looking for solutions. Coming back and stating a piece of a memorandum in 2012 continuously to the office does nothing for us. And Tim, when you mentioned there what that we we're all aware of the pinpoints, which we are aware of the pinpoints, and, and that they, those areas will come up again next year, uh, and the review into school transport we need now, is there any idea when this will be published? I mean, you're in government with uh, Norma Foley, uh, the education minister. W- this needs to be published basically last month. When is it going to be? Any timeline? I have no idea when the Minister for Education is going to publish this review. We put pressure on her in literally June of 2021 and she published an internal review regarding coming up with minor measures. Like this, you're dead right, this should have been published two years ago, to be perfectly honest. Like we have parents who literally can't run their actual lives. They're busy people, they're trying to work, they're trying to cater for their kids and they can't actually activate their lives or run their lives because they're in a start of school transportation cannot be guaranteed. And like we're back in the Shannon next week, it's the first commencement debate down. And actually last year, it was the first commencement debate down as well, was about school transportation. And it's about trying to get the minister to understand the urgency. Like families cannot survive the stress and the strain that's been put in them by not having a school transportation scheme. And I honestly believe this, that within the department structures itself, it's not prioritised. There was another announcement today by the minister. Like to me, this is about solving this issue. I don't think we should be going anywhere else until school transportation is solved. We actually have the private operators who are willing to actually run the service. We need to make sure that we actually put an appropriate budget in place and fix this criteria. This criteria of concessionary versus non-concessionary are the 4.8 kilometres versus the 3.2 kilometres. There, that's a criteria for a different age. Like we've often spoken about Eamon Ryan and the green targets and give you out about them. This is a very easy win. This is a basic win. We can put hundreds of thousands of vehicles off the road every morning by actually having a school transportation scheme that works. So there is severe frustration among these families that want to do the right thing, but can't because we haven't published this review. And 31 months later, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it is when the options and the fix is there, but they're not allowing the fix to happen. So the students are the ones losing out. It just seems mad and bizarre. Hopefully they will decide to publish this. And once it's published, then no point having a report lying on a desk published and saying, aren't we great? Go and do it. Sort out the problem then and allow the buses uh, to be made available for the students in those areas and other areas right across Cork. You mentioned for the moment, Tim, thanks for joining us this morning. That is Cork uh, Southwest and uh, Senator Tim Lumber joining us of Fina Gael. Uh, your views are are welcome on that 0818103103 text or WhatsApp 0862103103 Councillor Declan Hurley who was raising issues within in the Dumanway area over the last number of weeks on school transport says good morning because in relation to this uh, he's happy to say that finally he has received confirmation of the attendance of the senior school transport manager of Bus Aaron to the next roads and transport meeting within Cork County Council that is uh, hopefully they'll be meeting at the end of September 
September and then it's hoped that councillors will get some answers and an insight as to what exactly is happening, why it's time to modernise and update the school transport system. So many questions uh, councillors have and hopefully they'll get answers to them. Uh, so that will be another insight as to what exactly is happening with the school transport system uh, from a bus air inside of things as well. And thanks to Declan uh, for that on WhatsApp to 0862103103. And we must congratulate because we were mentioning last week about a number of rowers from Cork. Uh, obviously, Finton and Paul uh, won the gold, but there was others as well involved in rowing. But while we were mentioning the rowing, uh, the World Rowing Championships in Belgrade, uh, there also was another competition. This is the Home International Rowing Championships that were being held in Wales. And a big congrats to Grace and Finian from the Ross Carberry Rowing Club because they represented Ireland at these rowing championships and because they came third in their event, which was a fantastic achievement. A homecoming will be taking place at the Clubhouse Pub in Lisbalish near Dunmanway. And that is on this evening at six o'clock to welcome home the uh, international rowing champions back to Dunmanway and back to Lisbalish. And as I said, they came third representing Ireland. So a huge achievement. So well done. If you're in the area, go along uh, to Lisbalish, to the Clubhouse Pub later this evening at six o'clock and welcome them home. So much going for us in terms of rowing uh, we have here in Cork and so many winning various competitions over the weekend. So well done to all. Our lines are open 0818 103 103. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 103 103. Cork today on C103. Students heading back to college are being warned of the risks of becoming money mules. New fraud smart figures show there's been a rise of almost 50% in the use of money mule accounts. And most of these bank accounts belong to those aged between 18 and 24, with some as young as 15. Banking and Payments Federation Head of Financial Crime is Neve Davenport, and she joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Neve. Good morning, how are you? I'm fine and thanks for joining us. I suppose, first of all, just define a money mule for us. A money mule is basically somebody who lets their bank account be used to transfer funds. So you receive funds into your bank account and then you'll be given a bank account number and you'll transfer the money onto that bank account. But in the meantime, you keep a cut or a commission for yourself. So it could be a thousand euro going into your bank account, you transfer on 800 and you keep 200 to yourself. And no matter how many times we raise this and explain this, people still get involved knowing the consequences that this can have for them. I mean, currently they're targeting younger people at a time where many are looking for deposits for a room to rent while they attend college. There's your college expenses, just such as books and a lot more. So they know how to target the vulnerable at specific times. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's an all year round problem, but we definitely see um, a spike in it at this time of year. As you said, back to college, it's an expensive time of year. You've got your books, you've got maybe a rental deposit, transport costs, all of those costs associated with going back to college, possibly fees as well. So it may seem, and I think this is the thing you said, like uh, people don't still get involved knowing the consequences. But I think it's just seen as such a harmless and victimless crime. And it's really not. And that's something we want to get out there. You know, we've spoken so much about the text message scams or the investment scams. So your family and friends are falling victim to these scams. And that's the money that you're transferring through your bank account. So the scams we talk about daily of the text messages and the false emails and all of that and people click thinking they're clicking on a banking website, the money gets taken out of their account, that money is in an account and then you're transferring that money. You, that, that, that's what you mean, the money is being exactly, transferred yeah. from the scammers. 
Yeah, so that money, the money that you transfer as a fraud victim has to go somewhere and the fraudsters aren't going to be using their own bank accounts. So they're recruiting students to do that for them. And that is part of the circle, I suppose, of the financial crime world. And then the second piece of it is that what is that money being used for? So when you transfer it on, what's that being used for? So it's being used for drug trafficking, human trafficking, organised crime. It's very, very serious. It's not a harmless and it's not a victimless crime. And when you're transferring then large amounts of money, you may think no one's watching, but the banks are. The banks are constantly watching everybody's account <laughs> and they're watching it more when they see We're huge bay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I presume you are a lot more when you see tens of thousands being transferred from one account to another. Red flags will show. So, I mean, the banks will figure out at some stage what's going on. Yeah, and I think that's evident. We've seen over 2,600 cases in the first half of this year alone. Um, a huge increase in the amount of money being transferred. So that's the, one of the big differences this year is it's over 50% rise in the actual funds being tra- transferred through. And, you know, students will think that there's a clever way about this, that, you know, if you don't do such a large transaction. So even though the average may be 10,000 going through an account, the thing is that could be a cumulative um, of a number of transactions. So you might do 500 one week, 1,000 another week and think if I just do them in smaller numbers, um, the banks won't notice. But anything unusual that gets flagged up or patterns or analysis, you know, we're always watching to see and we're on alert to different scams that are around as well. So it's all connected. And while those who take part uh, to do so, to get extra money, I don't think they realise how much trouble they could be in, even though many will say, well, it's my own bank account, but that doesn't work. No, that doesn't work. So your bank account, you have to be careful with your bank account details. They're your details and you're responsible for them. Allowing other people to use your bank account is actually a criminal offence. So you can face up to seven years in prison, which is obviously serious enough. You'll then have a criminal record for the rest of your life. If you're planning to get a student loan, a car loan, or even go travelling, you know, J-1 visas, um, visas to the Middle East or Australia, you won't be able to apply for any of those. And then even longer term, you'll have difficulties getting jobs as well. So there's a huge knock-on effect for that €200. And also what I'd say is, I think in some cases that we've seen in US IRAs and the campaign with us, and people have come forward to them looking for help as well as, what we've heard is that they go, I'll do it once and I'll take my €200 and that'll be it. The fraud just have your bank account details. They can keep transferring money into your account and you're caught in the cycle. So really, it's not a one-off thing that you can just get out of easily enough. It is a very serious thing that you're getting yourself involved in and just stay well clear of it. And they'll keep putting the money in and, and will keep on top of you until you transfer that money exactly. elsewhere. And you can play the victim, as you mentioned there, if your friends are off on a J1 or, or going touring around the world, you could be caught with this conviction. You can see you didn't know what was happening because at the end of the day, you facilitated this scam money to be transferred from one account to another. Yeah, there are examples where students get involved unknowingly. So the other cases to be aware of is if you see something like an, an ad online for, say, work from home. And what they do in these situations is that you, they'll ask you to do some research or some typing or something like that. And you're supposed to get paid, I don't know, 500 euro. And instead they pay you a thousand euro and they say, just transfer back the difference to us. So that's an unwittingly way of getting you to transfer money and they give you a bank account to transfer to. So those scams are very popular pre-COVID, but since COVID, we've seen that it's just blatant ads online on social media platforms saying, you know, are you looking to make a quick book? Here, it just gives your bank account details. So there's knowing and unknowing, but in most cases, and it's, it's obvious which, which is which, so there's no getting away with this. And while they're advertising online, we've heard as well they're in some instances, reports that they're outside schools and stopping people on streets to get involved. 
Yeah, so we have, especially with that younger cohort that you've to- you spoke about, the 15 and 16-year-olds is outside school. I'm approaching them to say they just have difficulty getting a bank account. Um, they're maybe new into the country and they're trying to transfer money home. And could you could, would you let them use your bank account? So that's the kind of approach we've seen in person. And the other kind of in-person approach, I suppose, is through friends. So one friend say, well, I've done this and um, I'll get you should do it as well. And that's the other approach. And again, that gives a sense of familiarity and comfort. Well, actually, my friend has done it, so I'll do it too. So again, just to be alert, your bank account details are your responsibility. You wouldn't give your car keys over to um, a criminal, so why would you give your bank account details? And that's the mentality that we need to understand. True. And again, students, when they look to go uh, abroad and look at the various opportunities you can get work abroad in, uh, you, they could be all taken away in just a few seconds because you couldn't up with a conviction for the moment. And Niamh, thanks for joining us with that Thank warning you. this morning. Thank you. Take care. Neve Davenport there, who is with the Banking and Payments Federation. She's head of financial with them. And a warning to all out there, be careful. While it may look attractive, you may think you're getting extra money. The money you're transferring has been scammed out of people. And also then... You know, if you want to go away somewhere, you won't be able to go anywhere with a conviction. So a word of warning uh, this morning here at C103. Uh, it is Cork Today, JP, with you. And Bernie taking your calls and comments on 0818103103. You can text or indeed WhatsApp to 0862103103. And shortly, we're going to hear how a number of farmers in the West Kerry area have grouped together to cut down on their energy costs by going solar. More on that shortly. Uh, but a number of calls and comments in on the various issues we have been discussing this morning. First of all, to do with school transport and we were speaking with Senator Tim Lumbert on that and how to get this report into the transport for schools published sooner rather than later. It should have been published during the summer. It wasn't uh, and it should have been published even last year. Some would say with the problems we are seeing every single year when it comes to school transport and again this morning people from various areas getting on to us uh, telling us their story. Uh, But while we are getting parents telling us their story from various areas Michael has been on, he's in the Bandon area and he's making a point on our discussion earlier. Something I did say and put to Tim Lumber that he is a Fine Gael senator and surely he should be able to talk to the Education Minister Norma Foley and get things pushed on when they're in government. Michael says, as I listen here to Senator Tim Lumber giving out about the school transport scheme on the show, it is unreal. Uh, to hear him. You would swear he was in opposition, says Michael, instead of being a vocal, unactive member of the government. His leader is in Taoiseach of the country. Nothing makes me more angry, says Michael, than hearing these people who were paid by us talking out of both sides of their mouths. He is part of the problem, according to Michael. Action is required and not lip service. Bandon as a town now, since the schools are back, are is in utter chaos. Michael says all the traffic is being backed up on every side of Bandon Town and the keys are choked before the schools opened and now the Supervalue car park via the Riverview Shopping Centre that is being used as a road for people to try and get out west of Bandon. It's an accident waiting to happen says Michael on text to 0862103103 and Linda is in Bandon and she's agreeing more or less and, and telling me the same as what Michael is saying but she's saying regarding the Riverview Shopping Centre car park where Supervalue is there. Uh, 
that there's too many cars using that road. So I presume what you're saying, Linda, and indeed Michael, they're driving through the Riverview Shopping Centre. They're turning left there and going out onto Castle Road uh, and then going other streets to get onto the main Clonakilty Road when there is traffic chaos. And every day this happens when the schools are out. And again, she's making the point that as people use this car park to access the band on the Clonakilty Road, it's an accident waiting to happen. So I'm sure others in Bandon must have seen this as well if Michael and Linda are bringing this up this morning. Uh, driving through a shopping centre uh, to escape the traffic. But will that lead to other accidents then if the shopping centre uh, road, which isn't designed to be a road, uh, gets busy because people are avoiding the traffic elsewhere? And again, a lot of this goes back to the lack of public school transport and public transport in general. I know a number of years ago in Mallow, uh, there was residents of a housing estate very annoyed. They had a campaign at one stage to stop drivers from driving through their housing estate. They were using uh, the housing estate as as one resident at the time told me a rat run uh, to get to the main Cork Road in a faster capacity than going uh, around another way, the main road basically, which was choked up with traffic. Uh, they were really against this. There was wing mirrors. They were telling me being taken off cars and everything. Uh, I'm not too sure if it is calmed or not. I think it was Canon Sheehan Place uh, was the estate in Mallow at the time where drivers were using that as a way to get it around the traffic. And now we have abandoned, not a housing estate, but a car park for a supermarket. Thank you for your calls. And with the staying on the school transport issue and we mentioned the number of areas there uh, Anita has been in touch because Anita's daughter Kira is one of the children which uh, and Senator Lumber did touch on a number of schools one of them he mentioned was Laura National School outside Bandon and she says her daughter is one of those with no bus tickets to Laura National School and there is actually closer to 20 uh, children without tickets to the school the bus stops by my house every morning but the bus is never full morning or indeed evening. This system really needs to change about applying uh, for tickets. It's not fair that well I'm applying for a ticket. Obviously you applied and you haven't got the ticket yet or you were told no a bus ticket for the school uh, but yes when you see the bus it's not full, so that makes no sense. Uh, first of all, it makes no sense, but obviously the system, as you say, is totally uh, inaccurate if you're applying and told no, but the bus is not full both morning and evening. Uh, thank you, Anita, on WhatsApp to 0862103103. And then remaining on buses, and somebody else on WhatsApp, I sent this in. They're asking, how is it that the Carrig Line uh, bus air en route 220 has 14 buses on that route, says this person. Uh, he is asking, is it because there's a number of ministers living and looking after that side of Cork, while the 207 and the 203 city buses, so the 207 is that Douglas area, and the 203 is the Farnry uh, and that route. Anyhow, they, uh, most of the time of the day, have five buses, which in those areas is a big population. Uh, well, on that, the 220, there's two 220 routes, there's a a 220X and a 220 normal route and the 220 route you mentioned does go from Ovens to Ballincollig into the city centre and then out via Maryborough Hill onto Carrig Line and yes there is a, a number of uh, various stops and times on that more maybe than you would on the city buses uh, but then the 22X goes from Ovens into Carrig Line and onto Crosshaven. And I think it's a 22X is a 24-hour service. So that may have uh, the reason why there is more uh, buses on that route. One of those buses operates 24-hour, but they do seem to operate more. I know that 
Balancolic to Carrigal Line service is a busy service. And while you say the regions within the city suburbs are busy, uh, there would be a huge population in the Carrigal Line area and in the Balancolic area also. All I would say to that is a lot of people do commute work-wise from both those regions as well. So it, there must be a demand for it if the buses are there. Uh, and anytime you see that bus, it seems to be fairly full, but so are the, the city buses. Anyhow, uh, th- that's the reason we have behind it is that uh, one of those routes you mentioned is 24 hours. Uh, and there's a lot of pharmaceutical companies there as well. Are they, are those workers, I presume, using public transport to get to those companies? Uh, that could be another reason. Thank you for your WhatsApp to 0862103103. If anybody is in the know, maybe in Bosseron, let us know as well. And then we have a number of calls and WhatsApps in from the Charnival area, electricity outage in that area. We've just got in contact with ESB Networks. There's a fault. They're working on this and electricity should be be restored to some areas in Charnival at around three o'clock this afternoon. So if you have no power in some region in and around Charnival, expect it back at three o'clock this afternoon. Lines open 0818-103-103 or indeed you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. On the way, as it is the anniversary of 9-11, we'll be hearing about a memorial garden in Kinsale. Also, if you thought the RTE controversy was gone, it's not. Uh, the RTE board, will they face a grilling this coming Wednesday yet again in front of the Oireachtas Media Committee. And this committee this time want forensic details on how the licence fee money was spent. We heard about everything else over the summer months, but now it's been dug down into where our licence fee money is going. Can they do things differently there uh, with the money everybody is paying regardless if you pay the licence fee or not? The majority so far are paying the licence fee, even though there's been a huge reduction of people paying over the last two months. And then they also want to know and get full details of employees in RTE who are in receipt of a car allowance and indeed confirmation as to whether car allowances are vouched. Uh, just some of the issues that will be spoken about on Wednesday, yet again in front of the Oireachtas Media Committee. I'm sure there'll be a lot of interest in that over what comes out of that over the next few weeks. Your, our lines are open 0818 103 103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862103103. We're going to hear about energy costs as we're all trying to cut down. We'll hear how a group of Kerry farmers have gone and looked at solar panels and how they have decided to cut down their energy costs. We'll speak with them next. C103 Jobs. The gallery bar and restaurant in Mallow is recruiting for a chef, floor staff and wash-up staff. You can contact them on 022 or email your CV to info at galleryrestaurantbar.com. Clear Auto Services. They're based in Middleton. They're looking for car and HGV truck mechanics. You can email clearautoservices at gmail.com or call them on 086-8265599. And a fresh food manager is required to run a deli, bakery and fast food counters in the Bandon Road, Bishopstown area. You can email your CV to michellehobrien at gmail.com. You'll find these jobs and a lot more now online. Just go to c one. 3.ie forward slash job. Court today on C103. Energy costs continue to rise for householders, businesses and indeed the agricultural community. So one farmer has come up with a way to cut down on energy bills. Dinny Griffin joins me from Dingle this morning. Good morning to you, Dinny. 
Good morning. How are you? I'm fine, and thanks for joining us. So you and a group of farmers, like everybody, we've all been dealing with the high energy costs over the last number of years. I think it's about 65 dairy farmers have come together to drive down your energy bills. So tell us how you've gone about this. Okay, so... Actually, we, we started back in 2019. Uh, we set up the West Kerry Dairy Farmers SEC. Uh, that consisted of a group of 106 um, dairy farmers in total. Um, we formed a steering committee um, through the Dingle Hub, who, who I work for. The Dingle Hub have been very, very uh, supportive and have helped us um, you know, through the whole thing. So off we went. We applied to the SEAI to do um, an energy master plan. And uh, we set up a sustainable energy community. We completed our energy master plan. We got good funding from the SEAI, uh, Kerry Agribusiness, uh, Dove Genetics. And um, we were able to fund the uh, study on energy usage on, on nine of the dairy farms. So when I say nine of the dairy farms, we put in a Watrix device to our consultants who were doing the energy master plan called DC6. They're a cock-based company in Bandon. So what that did was I, I have an app on my phone, as did nine farmers, and we were able to see exactly what everything cost us in the milking process, from pumping water to heating water to cooling milk. And that was very, very beneficial to us. Uh, And then we could relate that to the cost per unit per day. So I could see where, you know, cooling milk or heating water were some of my biggest uh, energy uses. Pumping water was quite expensive as well. And uh, that was a great learning process. Yeah, and actually I was reading the article, it was uh, Neil Michael in the Irish Examiner alerted us to to this. I mean, for farmers, indeed for anybody living in a rural area, I suppose pumping water, if you have your own well, you will notice the electricity is going to be higher. But what your bills must be quite high on average if you have a milking parlour and then your own water supply. Yes, indeed. So you look for 60 dairy, you're talking maybe something like a thousand euros per annum for every 10 dairy cows. So for 60 to 70 dairy cows, you're in the region of, of six or 7,000 euros per annum for electricity usage. The bigger the herd, the, the higher the energy usage, of course. Um, of one of the surveys that was done uh, back in 2020, uh, we also looked into you know, uh, usage of agricultural diesel. And we found that 100 uh, dairy farmers were using in the region of a million euros worth of ag diesel in a 12-month period. That was another frightening statistic for us. Um, and that was before that was before the pieces in field, something like 1.5, 1.6 million worth of ag diesel. Like for 100 uh, dairy farmers, it's a frightening figure. There was no silage contractor involved in that as well. There are massive figures to be paying out uh, for any business, but let alone the agri-industry. So when you had all these reports and you saw exactly how much everybody was paying out every single year, this is where you came together further to look at how maybe on a more green scale you can be, first of all, good for the environment, but also save money. Yes, indeed. Look, I believe myself that, you know, energy and emissions are very closely related. And 
by taking by reducing your energy you have to be reducing your emissions we are under considerable pressure uh, to reduce our emissions by 25 percent by 2030 i believe this should take a percentage off of the 26 percent but look the powers that be say otherwise that it's going it will have to come off of the energy sector's emissions but look hopefully there's room for negotiation there all the time um, yeah, so we, we went on and uh, we completed the energy master plan this time last year. The findings of that, well, that one on the fuel that I mentioned, and what came out on top was um, heat recovery to take the heat from the cooling process of the milk and put it back into heating water from heat recovery. So that was that was a good finding. <clears throat> and then, as you know, we were... We were working on it, and the next thing, there was an announcement that the Thames was going to support solar PV, and the farmers wanted to get in on this. So, of course, we we did a, an online survey. Um, the proper survey would be to get out and go on to every farm, but time wasn't allowing that because, you know, Thames was the announcement for the Thames was coming close. So we did that, and... We went out there, I suppose, about three and a half months ago to 11 solar PV companies uh, for a tender process. Seven of them came back to us and uh, we we reduced that to three. We, The steering committee and the Dingle Hub interviewed uh, those three companies and look, we're just delighted that we, we um, ended up with a local solar company called Solar Bio. And they're up for the challenge now. So we have about 65 dairy farmers now ready to get involved with Solar Bio. When I say ready to get involved, they will go on to the Solar Bio, will go on to the farms, do an assessment and decide which is the best option. Every farm is different. You just can't paint every farm the same, even though we're all milking dairy cows. Every, uh, no two farms are alike due to orientation of roofs, due to quality of roofs, due to different usage. Um, there's two grants that can be applied for. One of them is the TAMS. That's a 60% grant. And there's a non-domestic grant as well, which is in the region of 25 to 30%. So it, it has given, it's been very educational and it has given the, the, the group of, of farmers definitely great buying power and um, great things should come out of it. Certainly, because you're block buying the solar panels. So first of all, before you get into the energy saving, it's cheaper this way for a group of farmers coming together and purchasing these solar panels, but also for installation, it's working out cheaper like a wholesaler would. Exactly, indeed. And, you know, um, they are a great company, a very reputable company, and they do good work. So we're delighted. It was very close. Uh, the other two companies, there wasn't much in it in the end, in fairness. Uh, there are some great companies out there. Um, but you need, you need if, you, if, if we went individually, you'd have different companies playing off, you know, playing the farmers off each other, to be honest about it. And it can get very confusing, as we noticed, you know, when we were doing the um, interviews and that between different types of inverters, different types of batteries, um, there's just so much to it that uh, we were lucky that we had DC6 
and uh, those lads to help us out as well, you know, with the interviews. Yeah, to break down the barriers of the language and everything else, yeah. 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 So when do you hope for these solar panels to be actually installed? And then how much have you worked out? How much do you intend to save annually? The figures, the figures are quite hard to, you know, to put a finger on as of yet, because definitely over a half a million. But like it's it's so hard to put a figure on that because every farm is different. So it's hard to just to see it's hard to distinguish what will go on every farm. If you're going through TAMS, well, what will happen there is your electricity usage will be looked at uh, in the past and you can only put up what you actually decide to use. That's okay. The non-domestic grant will allow you to go further and if you want to sell power back to the grid, that will be acceptable as well. So there are two different grants completely and there's different options. So it's very, very hard to quantify Mm how many kilowatts would suit me and how many kilowatts would suit my neighbor. But when the company solar bio go out to the farmers individually, they'll be going out on the ground now as of today because TAMS is presently closed, but the next round of the, the TAMS will be open in about, hopefully in about a month. And, you know, a lot of the surveys will be ready then and solar bio will help the farmers apply for the grants as well. So but, you but will be making a saving point. anyhow. I mean, it will be for some, it could be over half than, than what it is. Would, would that be expected? Definitely in the region of 50 to 60 percent. Mm. Definitely. Hopefully the payback period, the panels are guaranteed for 30 years. Hopefully the payback period is two to three years. And I believe it will be because as we all notice in the in the petrol pumps and the, and the diesel pumps, the cost of fuel with the last few days and last week uh, has skyrocketed again. Energy, electricity is the same thing. It can only go one way, I'm afraid. I know there have been reductions by some of the companies, but in the long term, energy is something that's going to be very, very expensive in this country. So if you can go with what you're doing, it is an option for many farmers because, as you say, energy is for any business, any household. But especially if you're producing food, a lot of our food producers would say it's the biggest bear of their cost is paying the various energy bills for the equipment that they need to have regarding refrigeration or whatever. And would you encourage now more farmers across the country who were listening this morning to you, Denny, what you and your farmers there have achieved in West Kerry? I mean, was it difficult to get everybody to sit around, you know, form? group and to not only interview these various companies but for the farmers to agree on everything it was yeah it was quite a challenge i suppose i had a good you know i had a good um i had a good reputation with the farmers i worked as an ai man here for 12 13 years with for dovey genetics so there wasn't there weren't too many farms i hadn't been on um got on very well with them it was a bottom-up approach uh, a bottom-up approach here the Dingle Hub reached out to the farm, to me and to the farming community day one. Uh, that, the, the Dingle Hub is very, very central to everything that's happening here in relation to agriculture. Now, you need that centre. What we find is you have academic people. I'm agricultural liaison officer with them with the last year and a half. And once I get involved, you, you have the, then you have the agricultural side. But it's very, very important to talk to people on the ground. You have to talk to the farmers. And it's very, very important at this point in time for the farmers to stick together and definitely back each other up because 
we might be waiting for government to do something for us or, you know, and look, things are slow and things don't happen. But look, when you form groups and put farmers together uh, and engage with the academic and the hubs and and situations like that, an awful lot can be achieved. An awful lot can be achieved. Yeah, and West Kerry would be in similar to some vein to a lot of the rural areas here in Cork. So if farmers are thinking about doing something like this, it can be achieved. I mean, the Dingle Hub basically is like a lot of the co-working spaces we have here in various areas of Cork. I mean, it can be used for meeting rooms and conference rooms. And I know it's the, 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 their one there, your one in Dingle, is in it operating with Udrox in the, the business park there. So if you have something similar in your own area where we have here in Cork, it could be it could be an option for farmers anyhow. That's what it could be to group together and work together and save money. It could indeed. You have fabulous hubs down there. The Ludgate Hub, there's one mm-hmm. in Skibbereen. I met quite a large group of Lissavard farmers down in Clonakilty last January. I was asked to go down to speak to them about energy and it was great to meet them. There were dairy farmers. There was a lot of Lissavard, maybe some of the Carberry uh, producers there as well. They were very, very interested in this. And I think they have set up uh, SECs. Uh, definitely, they were in the process of doing it. Um, but like, you know, all the questions and you'd be just trying to help them out. But, you know, the most important thing is to stick together and form these groups and get involved with your hubs. And these people will facilitate you. There's fabulous people, you know, that that um, I can speak highly enough about uh, the steering committee that helped us. But I'm working with six to ten fabulous people in the Dingle Hub as well. And, you know, anything I wanted, they were always there. Uh, you know, they were always there to help, which is which is great. Absolutely. That support, like I say, you know, mix the academics with the farming community and, and things can be done. And like... What, we, what I notice, we're joining the dots here. It's a bio-circular economy effort. We're involved in so many other different projects, but they're all for the good of the countryside and the farming community. Indeed. So an awful lot can be done, yeah. Indeed. You mentioned Lissavar there. They're a very forward-thinking co-op near Clonakilty and Ludgate, of course, as well, has a number of people now who've moved back home to the West Cork area and are working on a Ludgate using their facilities. But I think you're right. When everybody sits around the table from the different sectors, joins up thinking, and if the farmers can agree and work together and there's no fighting, you can see what you've achieved there in Dingle and it can be quite positive. It is very forward-thinking and I, I, I'd imagine, anyhow, uh, Dinny, that more farming communities will be in touch with with you in the Dingle Hub to try and uh, do something similar than what you have done there. For the moment, thanks for joining us this morning and I hopefully will chat to you again here about your cost savings in about a year's time. You're very welcome indeed. Thank you. Thank you, Dinny. Take care there. That is Dinny Griffin joining us from Dingle um, as he outlines the group of farmers who have come together. I mean, it is a a great initiative. They will save money now, they reckon, more or less, uh, maybe depending on each farm, but more or less saving half uh, their energy costs. It is something to look at across all sectors, I suppose, really, of our communities. But that's just an example from the farming community. Your views are welcome on 0818103103. Text or WhatsApp 086. Court today on C103. On this day, 22 years ago, two hijacked planes struck the World Trade Center in New York City. There were several other attacks across the states on that day, and over 3,000 people died, and many more suffering the after effects of the attacks. New York firefighters made the journey to Kinsale last month to visit an Irish garden established in memory of the 343 of their colleagues who died during 
the 9-11 terror attacks in New York. Ger Hearn joins me. He's involved with that Remembrance Garden in Kinsale. Good morning to you, Ger. Good morning. How are uh, you this morning? I'm fine and thanks for joining us this morning. Not a uh, Just to explain, first of all, how did this establishment of a garden like this in Kinsale come about? Uh, it was the uh, work of Kathleen Murphy. Uh, she was a nurse at Lenox Hill Hospital in New York. And uh, on the morning of the attacks on the Taurus, uh, she was on duty. And uh, there was a general alert went out to all doctors and medical professionals to uh, report to their respective hospitals because they expected hundreds and hundreds of casualties to arrive. But of course, as we know, now know, very few casualties arrived from the collapse of the Taurus. People were buried. But uh, Kathleen would have known um, the majority of the firemen who were killed. Uh, the New York Fire Department run an ambulance service as well, like, and they'd be in and out to the hospitals all the time with patients. So she decided that she would, after a couple of weeks, she decided she'd take a leave of absence. And in their memory, she would plant a tree in her garden in Kinsale down at Ringfinnan. So she took two months' leave of absence and came home with her brother, and they went about planting the trees in Kinsale. Because she must have seen a lot on that particular day and then the sadness of knowing that people she would have been familiar with coming and going from the hospital would have been involved in the attack and many would have lost their lives. Yes, that, that's exactly it. That's a lot of her friends, a lot of her uh, colleagues in the hospital would have known the men as well. So uh, the, the people reacted differently to the, to the happenings of 9-11. And this was Kathleen's way of um, appreciating the importance of them, you know. So how did she get the garden started up and like, whereabouts is it in Kinsale and how did it all come about to actually physically get this garden underway and up and running? Well, Kathleen got the help of her brother. Uh, he has a farm on the land and uh, she got his help and they dug trenches and they went to local nurseries and they bought the trees and they planted them and and then they went about putting the names of the firemen and the officers on each of the trees. So every tree is representing one of those that died on yeah, that day? each of the trees is representing a fireman who was lost on, on, on that particular day. Yeah. And Kinsale, of course, Jer is a, a big tourist town. I would imagine the popularity of the garden after it was released, that it would be open. A lot of American tourists must visit the garden when they do come to Ireland to visit Kinsale. Well, the tour, the tour operators in Kinsale make it a point of bringing any American visitors that uh, look for their services in the town. They take them to the garden anyway, as, as a matter of form, you know. But uh, lots of families come over to the garden uh, during the year, and uh, some of them contact me, and I meet them below and take them to their uh, loved own tree. And also, uh, John Murphy is, uh, is is continuously upgrading and and replacing trees that get blown down and trees that don't do very well, you know. But so he's, he's a hands-on all the time, John Murphy's great, really. He's Kathleen Murphy's nephew. Uh, and he's constantly maintaining the garden so it looks all well. All the time, cutting yeah. the grass, tending the trees. Uh, they, he has a tree surgeon comes in fairly re- regular then and makes sure that they're all okay, that they're not suffering from any diseases, etc., you know. And I know this year, last month, there was a number of those from the New York firefighters. And then I think as well, the Emerald Society Pipe Band um, were visiting the garden this year to mark the 22nd anniversary. That's right. Um, the, 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 the firemen that came from New York were, were over for the, the match in Dublin between uh, Notre Dame and Navy. 
And uh, when they landed at Shannon Airport, they were driven directly to the Garden of Remembrance. So they arrived there about uh, half past ten in the morning. <clears throat> and um, they gave uh, a recital of uh, the Emirates Study Pipe Band gave a recital uh, in the garden for about uh, ten minutes. And and that, that was a very, very moving, a very, very moving occasion, you know. And I can imagine over the years at the various anniversaries, you do get a lot of those people coming from uh, the United States to Kinsale. It is a very moving time for all because it was really an attack on the world and there were so many nationalities working within uh, the World Trade Centre. But there was, of course, yeah. But the thing you see, what's what's so special about the Garden of Memories is that it's a living memorial and the trees are alive and, you know, people take take that as, as being very a very, very moving experience to come down and find a tree and your and your loved one's name is under the tree, you know. True, very special indeed. And how did you yourself get involved, Ger? Pardon? How did you yourself get involved then with the garden? Um, there was one of the families coming home from New York and uh, they asked me to know could I find their son's tree. So <clears throat> that was in 2004. So uh, I went down to Kinsale and uh, I eventually found the garden. And uh, while I was down looking at the trees and looking for her son's tree, uh, Kathleen Murphy herself came out into the garden and she introduced herself. And I told her why, why I was coming down. And I told her that there was a family coming over to uh, find their son's tree and to spend some time there. And she said to me, she said, Jerry, she said, uh, when they arrive, make sure that you bring them in for a cup of coffee. I'd like to meet them. And that, that's how my, my involvement started with it when I was asked to go down. And look, and I've been going down there ever since, you know. And I'd imagine when you speak to the families, they must find some peace eh, when they go to the garden, considering what happened on that day, considering that their loved ones were injured or died. You know, this is kind of, I suppose, it brings a bit of peace to them and a bit of solace that, that this garden is here and that someone is remembering what happened on that day. Well, the, the thing is, you see, what really resonates with them is that, that, that an, an, an Irish lady living in New York came home to Ireland planted trees for American firemen in Ireland and uh, the, the, the remembrance. You see, the, in America, they're always saying, never forget. Never forget. This is, all, this is always in their, 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 their anthem. You know, we will never forget. And yeah. they don't. And, we, and to find somebody over in Ireland who didn't forget and went beyond the call, if you like, to actually remember them in a greater, uh, a more moving way in the, in, in the guise of a living tree. And that resonates with them all the time. And they, they are in awe of the fact that Ireland has a living memorial and there's no living memorial anywhere else in the world like this. True, yeah. And it just shows uh, the meaning Ireland has to too many of the Americans who come here to see the garden. I suppose a lot of them would have, or maybe some anyhow, may have some Irish heritage uh, with them. Oh, absolutely. I yeah. mean, lots of the names, you know, there's um, McCormick's, uh, there's, uh, there's, there's, there's uh, Kelleher, there's O'Sullivan, there's, there's loads of, the Irish are really imbued in the, the New York Fire Department, as are the Italians, you know, and, as are, and, and the police department. They have a fierce connection with all the different departments, uh, the departments in America, you know. Yeah, and and I... uh, they, they absolutely adore the trees. And they leave mementos at the trees, of they leave T-shirts, they leave uh, uh, memorial cards, they leave Christmas uh, uh, decorations. <clears throat> They're always, and of course, on the 8th of December, then I started in 2005 on the 8th of December, 
I started going down to the garden to put a Christmas bauble on each of the trees, and I've been doing that since uh, 2005, 2006. Oh, you so know? at Christmas they're all remembered. You have a Christmas decoration indeed, yeah. on each they tree. Fair play, yeah. That's nice for Christmas. Fair play to you. And then the garden itself, I mean, is it open to everybody? It's open to everybody. It's open three, six, five days of the year. And uh, the gate is, it, it's a beautiful Irish tradition. The door is always open. And do you look for money or is it a donation no, welcome? No, if Nothing. people want to make a donation, there's a donation box. There's no, no nobody asks for anything. It's, it's if you come and if you want to bring a flower, if you want to bring a memento, if you want to, if you just want to come and have a look and come away, there's no 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 charge at all. It's free. And I do presume on a day like today, and indeed at Christmas, it must be busy with people remembering the loved ones, even if they had no one involved or, or injured or died from what happened on that terrible day 22 years ago. People like to be there to remember on a day like today. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And the one thing about Risdell is, as well as, as well as that is that anybody that comes into the garden, it's a very moving experience. It's very calm, very quiet. Um, it's 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 um, it's very serene, or, or as 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 um, uh, 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 it's awesomely serene. It's really beautiful, you know. And uh, people come away really with with a sense of peace, you know. But the one thing about it as well then is that it's it's as I said, it's open three, six, five days of the year, and um, <clears throat> people just word of mouth. It's been word of mouth since the very beginning. Kathleen didn't want uh, any. Uh, companies involved sponsoring. She didn't want any of that. Uh, she wanted it to be word of mouth and it to spread around the, with the people. And word of mouth is probably the best way to describe the the, the, the publicity side of the garden, if you like. You know? Indeed. And whereabouts exactly, again, in, in Kinsale yes, is located if people wish to visit? Leaving Kinsale, going across the bridge, across the abandoned river bridge, heading for Garrettstown. As you come up the rise, about a mile out, a mile from the bridge, there's a turn to the right and it's very well signposted. It says Garden of Remembrance. Okay, and sure. it's about a mile and a half up that road. A steep, narrow hill now up that road. And when you, you'll know you're there because there's two big timber uh, firehouse red gates. And it's signposted anyhow, just in case people Very think they well are gone lost. It is signposted. Indeed. Excellent. Sure. Uh, well done on your work that you do there with the garden and indeed at Christmas as well. And thanks for joining us this morning on the anniversary and gave us an insight into what there is there in Kinsale with the Remembrance Garden. You're very, very welcome and have a good day yourself. And you right? too, Jura. Take care. Thanks for joining us. Lovely man, Jura Hearn there joining us uh, regarding the beautiful garden that is there. Uh, remarking today, of course, is the 22nd anniversary of that awful incident in New York of 9-11. Uh, but that garden bringing a lot of peace to families and indeed to anybody uh, in the area who wants to go along and who found that day quite disturbing, quite moving. And the garden, as he said, open three, six, five days a year. And uh, indeed for the families, it must be lovely when you come to Ireland. If you have Ireland, Irish heritage to visit that garden knowing that they're being thought of on this side of the pond. Lines open 0818 103 103 text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 JP with you and Bernie taking your comments on 0818 103 103 or indeed you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 those numbers for your questions for Annalisa Drizel who will join us after 12.30 answering all your nutritional questions if you have one as it is Monday uh, she'll be answering those just after 12.30 Get those into us and we'll ask uh, Annalisa your questions after 12.30 here at C103. A lot of calls and comments in on various issues we have been discussing this morning and also 
Something that made the Sunday Times yesterday on the amount Irish hospitals and paid for by the HSC have spent on taxis. Why that all to come? Uh, But we were speaking earlier regarding school transport and people who have uh, children going to certain schools in different areas of Cork and how they were uh, basically thought they may have a ticket. They don't. And now it's up to parents or a group of parents to bring their child to school. Uh, Here's another example because Anita joins me on the comment line this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Anita. Good afternoon. Um, now, your daughter, Kira, uh, one of the children that Senator Tim Lumbert, who joined us there earlier, uh, was yeah. talking about Laura National School, which is uh, between Bandon and Town. Your daughter, Kira, attends that school, but does not have a bus ticket to get on the school bus. Yeah, she had a concessionary ticket last year, which, like, I understand, it's like a lottery bus. Out of all the kids in the state that got the bus last year, she's the only one that didn't get us. No, there's children who live in our state who didn't apply last year, applied this year and got it. But here it got told on the 26th of July that there was no ticket. And none of the other parents found out that they got a ticket. Was the twenty second or twenty third of August, and there's actually twenty one, approximately twenty one students out of all of Laura National School that don't have a bus ticket. And you're saying that you were told in July you would not get a ticket, but someone else yeah. then was told in August they would get a ticket. Yeah, out of the group, we have a WhatsApp group in our estate, and obviously when I checked and. In July, and found out Kier didn't have a ticket. I sent in in the group, and none of the other transport portal had changed. And I obviously texted in the group, and they didn't find out until Tuesday, the twenty second of August, that their children have tickets. Now the bus stopped practically outside my front door, and my childminder's kids have gotten the bus. And it's just making working hard, but I have a boss who leaves me, come out of work to bring my daughter to school, but it's very unfair. Because this morning, for example, when the bus picked up in, in the showground, which is where I live, the bus is practically empty. And it holds, there's press seven seats on it, and there's three buses going up to the school. It's just, Unfortunate the way the concessionary ticket system works. But Christopher Sullivan, the TD, got an email from both Aaron saying that I am next in line if somebody hands back their ticket. But even though there are seats on the bus, your daughter still can't go on the bus if there, she's no ticket. But surely bus Aaron and the department must realise that there is availability on the bus. I mean, that bus would go from Inishoga, so in a state abandoned to Laura and, and travel out there. Uh, and do you know if, it, if it's collecting more en route? I mean, that's not a very it big journey. It only a handful of children after Inishoga. Because the bus company in question that picks up in their state have no problem putting on a bigger bus if Bus Aaron are digging their heels. Because, to be fair, Tim Lombard, Gillian Coughlin, Christopher Sullivan, and the other local representatives that me and the other parents concerned have contacted are trying their best, but Bus Aaron are digging their heels. 
So even though there is seats in the bus after leaving your estate and going to the school, yeah. still they're telling you you can't. Your, your daughter, Kira is not entitled to a ticket unless someone hands back their ticket, even though there are seats in the bus. And outside of that, if there was no seats in the bus anyhow, the bus companies have willingly said they will get bigger buses. Uh, but for some strange reason, that's where we're falling down, either with Bus Aaron or the department, that they won't allow the bus operators get bigger buses or in your case just allow your daughter on a bus which isn't full it just makes no sense it makes no sense like obviously all the students who have a bus ticket aren't going to be getting on the bus every day but it's the fact it stops outside my house so I can actually see that there's empty seats like and Anisha, you made a very good point when you're saying you now have to yourself go along and drop your daughter to school. I mean, you're lucky you have a very good employer and I suppose you're even luckier again that you're working in and around the area of Bandon where you can do that. You can leave work and bring her to school or, or bring her back from school. I mean, if you were working elsewhere, for example, in the city, that would be a lot tougher. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, it won't suit everybody to be in, in this position. Have you spoken to Boss Aaron or contacted Boss Aaron on this outside of the, the local representatives? I have, but it's basically tough. It's a concessionary ticket and you're not guaranteed it from year to year. But, like, the system needs to change. Like, I know Laura isn't my closest school chain in the showground, but it was the closest mixed school chain in the showground. And me and my husband made the decision that we wanted our daughter to go to a mixed school. But it's just unfair when it's foreseen that there's MTC. And, like, it takes traffic away from the school because anyone who's familiar with Laura National School, it's their typical country school at the side of the road. It would take a lot of traffic away from the school. And that's the big thing. We're all being told, Anita, to leave the cars at home and get public transport. But yet, while you and others are trying to do that, you're being hampered and not being allowed to do it by the very people that are telling us to leave our, our cars at home and to use public transport, which makes no sense. And I mean, you mentioned the, the various schools there. Laura is actually my my old primary school. That's where I attended primary school. Uh, so I know the area well. And as far as on thing, unless things have changed, where you're living, that was always an area where people would know that was a very rural area uh, back in the day. I know the town has uh, abandoned, yeah. has come out, but, like but, but that was year, always a, a place where people would go. So still, they, they shouldn't be saying you can't go there when that would have been an option for people back into the 90s. Like last year was the first year that a bus actually picked up from the state to Innesogra. Because I'm here since 2014, 2015, and there's parents who are actually with children before me tried and failed to get a bus. And it's just safer taking traffic away from school and stuff. So, so you got the bus, but now the bus is there 
and not picking everybody up within that housing estate, which I'm sure if uh, many people listening will have similar stories from other parts of Cork. Anita, we might actually get on to Bus Airden for a response and see if they what they can tell us or if they can shed any light on why indeed you're in this strange situation whereby Kira yeah. could get on the bus because the seats are not full uh, and they're telling you that she has to wait until someone gives back their ticket while still there seems to be room on that bus. Even more alarming that the bus operator, not only here but in other areas as well, are saying they're, you know, they're willing to change and get a bigger bus uh, but no one wants to hear that. Uh, Anita, thanks for raising this. We'll get on Perfect. to bus here thanks on your much. behalf. Thank you for joining okay, us on the comment line. Bye. Take care. Uh, Anisha there on 0818103103 will contact Bus Air and see what they say. It just makes absolutely no sense. And what's even more frustrating, if you even have no one going to any school, the fact we're all being told to leave the cars at home and use public transport and do this and do that. And then when you try and do it, uh, they won't let you on public transport or the public transport is not there, even though it's in the vicinity, you can use it. Uh, very, very strange indeed. Uh, your views are welcome. Text or WhatsApp 0862103103. We spoke to Jura Hearn before midday on that beautiful memorial garden that is going and that is in and well established at this stage in Kinsale. And this is to mark uh, what happened in New York for 9-11. Today is the 22nd anniversary of 9-11, those awful terror attacks that took place right across the United States. And what we all witnessed firsthand that morning at lunchtime here would have been in Ireland was just after 9am that morning was the first of the attacks that was shown on TV into the World Trade Centres in New York. Now, uh, a nurse who was working there on that day uh, Back home, she is in Kinsale, set up this beautiful garden. And we heard from Jura and others who attend the garden and maintain the garden. And the New York firefighters, they paid a visit last month with hello to Mary Buckley, who was in Rathcool. Hello to you, Mary, because Mary says she had the pleasure of visiting the Twin Towers in 1999 when her daughter was 15 years. And then it happened. My late husband, John, it had his birthday today and I went back to ground zero again this year. What a feeling. Well worth a visit, says Mary Buckley in Northcool, who went back to Ground Zero. And there's a beautiful memorial there at Ground Zero. If you're lucky enough, as you say, Mary, to go to New York, uh, you will see and visit that. Uh, they have waterfalls, they have lighting. It is beautiful if you're lucky enough to go to New York. If you ever are there, visit that. If not, though, I think a trip to the Memorial Garden in Kinsale is worth a visit as well. It seems like a beautiful, peaceful spot. Thank you for your text and a lot of calls and comments in regarding our roads which we are still getting calls uh, in about and uh, we're going to go back to this tomorrow because it made news again over the weekend and there's a campaign now when we heard about the speed reductions to take place over the next while which was announced last week at the Love 30 campaign group they want to see all urban areas reduced to 30k now here in Cork some towns are 30k in the town centres in many city and urban areas are 30k but not all are and they want that extended they're going to join us tomorrow on the show but on the issue of roads which we still get calls and texts about first of all here uh, this is Martin in Formoy who says when I was mentioning earlier on regarding the TV licence and the fact that now on Wednesday RTE are going to be brought into the Oireachtas Committee and they're going to be challenged on what exactly the licence money was used for over the last number of years and Martin is saying don't mind the TV licence uh, what about the road tax or motor tax it's too expensive because the roads we 
drive on are not up to scratch. Roads in the Fermoy area, he says, are in a brutal state. Uh, there's Martin's words. He says the roads are like they have been hit by a meteor or something. The potholes and the bad road surface, they are a disgrace. Hey, Martin goes on to say you would need to put stabilisers on your car. Uh, just awful for a short drive on the road you could do serious damage to your car but then if you go on a short drive out of Vermont and you head towards County Waterford he says the roads are completely different Waterford roads are far better than Cork, uh, Martin says in Fermoy. And we had that, Martin, last week on the show. A number of people were on with those stories as we were dealing with the roads because there was a lot of uh, talk about uh, safety on our roads and what was going to be done and speed issues. Uh, majority of people would agree with you, Martin, when you do go outside of Cork, you see the difference of the road networks and the motorways. Uh, even if you're not on a motorway, the fact the road surface is fantastic. Uh, thank you for your call. Heidi also on this says, uh, how much more are we going to put up with all of this with all our TDs we have sitting in Dáil and all going back to the Dáil they're all sitting on their hands and nothing happening with our roads the government needs to address this concern of the people we need money in Cork to get our roads up to standard of what they should be if we had the transport minister that was interested in working for us and working for our roads and road users instead of working on a green agenda then this would happen says Heidi and when we spoke earlier to Denny Galvin from Dingle on what he and a group of farmers are doing coming together there and what they're up to is they've all grouped together uh, to purchase solar panels which will be installed on their farms and then this will lower their energy costs and anyway, hopefully they will well it will lower their energy costs and might be different for each farmer but they're hoping to, to make a lot of savings over the next number of years on this Vincent is in Boerbui he's a farmer and he said he was buying electricity uh, through Borgosh from the IFA now the scheme he was on was 58 cents per unit uh, from 5 to 7 in the evening and 47 cents during the day and 38 cents on the night rate. And then he said when the bill comes in he gets 20% off for going through the IFA. That is all alright. Uh, but he changed to water power in Kenturk and he feels now he's paying a lot less. He's paying 27 cents per unit and 18 cents for the night rate. It's much cheaper and he's asking can the IFA, can they do a deal like this or what are they doing that they cannot get a similar deal uh, with Borgo to reduce prices for farmers, asks Vincent in Boherbui. I mean, all we can say to that is the IFA may have some agreements and maybe the agreement is up shortly and they'd be able to have better terms and conditions for farmers and that possibly is what is going on here and it's like everything when you get your contract with whatever supplier you are with electricity wise or gas wise you have that for the year you're on that unit rate for the year and then when it's up then things change but you can't do anything you can't change to another provider because you're breaking the contract in that year so I do presume that is what the IFA are, are entangled with and when that contract ends they can change it then as well I would presume so, but you know, we'd have to double check with the IFA. But usually, that's how contracts work, uh, and it's up to everybody. If your contract's up, to shop around like Vincent, you have done, and get a better price. I suppose that's the name of the game. Uh, lines open: oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. Text or WhatsApp: oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. The C one zero three Cork Diary with Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community.
property and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Donorail Active Retirement, they're meeting this afternoon at three o'clock in the Presentation Pastoral Centre in Donorail Arts and Crafts there will start from two o'clock. And to congratulate Grace and Finian, who represented Ireland at the Rowing Championships in Wales and to welcome them home from the Home International Rowing Champions, well, they'll be a big homecoming for them. It's going to take place at the Clubhouse Pub in Lisbalet, near Manway. It's on this evening at six o'clock. So if you're in the area, go out and welcome them home. They're both members of Ross Carberry Rowing Club. Bingo is going ahead in Shambadi Morrow Community Centre. That's going ahead on Tuesday evening, tomorrow night at eight o'clock. The jackpot is €2,450. And the North Cork Dementia Alliance, they're going to hold an information evening. It's on in Uncultural New Market and that is going ahead on Wednesday evening from 7 to 9 o'clock. And Clonakilty Community Care, they will reopen their Thursday night club and that will reopen on this Thursday, September the 14th from 7.30 to 10 o'clock and there'll be bingo, tea, music and dancing and it's a great night out to meet and make new friends. And if you want to advertise and include your events in the Cork Diary, email us diary at c103.ie Cork Today on C103 And Bridget's in Mallow she wants to get people views on this because people she says are leaving out their bins onto the footpaths on the various footpaths where she is in Mallow all of the time she's in Fair Street in Mallow and people with walking aids they can't get past them and we've spoken Bridget many times to various organisations who will work with people who may be in a circumstance where they you know they, they might have difficulty in walking or they may as you say have an age and that is always something that they talk about having bins on footpaths cars parked on footpaths that really does cause problems for those people and for many people uh, so yeah it, that is an issue I'd imagine everywhere when you're uh, walking on a footpath does it annoy you when you see bins thrown right in the middle of the footpaths uh, Bridget Fields is happening in Mallow anyhow uh, and uh, frustrated by that thank you for your call and something else that may uh, frustrate people is the spending and spending of public money uh, in many of our public institutions. This, first of all, is Irish hospitals and they have spent over €138 million Euros on taxis over the past four years. New documents were revealed yesterday in the Sunday Times newspaper and the HSC and every voluntary hospital in the country were questioned as part of a freedom of information request and figures showed that while HSC hospitals spent four million euros on taxi services last year. They spent 13 million euros in 2021. And those figures rose to 36.2 million and 21.1 million, respectively, when the services were included, the statutory services were included within this. And this then would suggest that half of the spins of the facilities at the HSC, they kind of go on corporate operations of the HSC. And if we look at the hospitals, then within the HSC's hospital groupings, like who had this biggest spin when it came to taxis? Well, the University Hospital of Limerick had the highest spend within the hospital groupings on taxis. They spent 
2.7 million euros last year and 2.3 million euros in 2021. And next up is Cork University Hospital, which paid out 1.5 million euros on taxis last year and 1.7 million euros in 2021. Then the voluntary hospitals and what we mean by voluntary hospitals, these are ones that receive all their funding from the state. And the martyr in Dublin had the highest level of spend on taxis. Taxi services with 3.5 million over four years. So the HSC were asked to uh, talk and comment on this. And they have said, yes, it's some of their larger taxi fares, which accounted for thousands of euros. And they recur when a patient in a rural area, the HSE say, becomes ill and has to be rushed to hospital. A lot of the time, the HSE say they are taking pressure off our ambulance services by bringing in taxis, which didn't cost the state a lot of money. In a statement in the HSE, they went on to say that also these taxi services we speak of were used to transport dialysis as patients to and from the hospital. Uh, So taking pressure off, I suppose, an ambulance service, many would agree with. But does that not show maybe if we spent the millions in total across Ireland of 138.8 million euros, if that was spent on investment into the emergency fleet, into the emergency services, would it not be better than spending it on taxis? I know many will say the taxis comes out of some maybe expenses and isn't grouped together at the start of the year for a budget. But still, if they put their heads together, would that not be better to spend it on uh, emergency vehicles and invest in our emergency services right across the country? And then when it comes to spending of more public money, well, the Irish Prison Service, they're going to spend around €320,000 on three jails on a graphic design project, which is to try and lift the mundane and dreary atmosphere in prison yards and in prison landings. Yes, indeed. That's what's in the papers as well over the weekend. This is from the Sunday Independent. Uh, The wall graphics are intended to brighten up the most of the depressing rooms in various hospitals from Roscommon to Cloverhill in Dublin and indeed in Cork Prison. The decorations are included to inspire quotes intended to lift the mood of prisoners and the staff and as well as having photos of nature and iconic snaps of crowds in Crow Park and indeed with Sam Maguire being hoisted in front of Hill 16. I presume that's for a Dublin uh, prison. Uh, And then uh, more will have uh, different things painted on the wall uh, at different locations to suit the area. Anyhow, there we are. It's going to be a a spend of €320,000 public money to brighten up the prisons for the prisoners who, well, they have done wrong. They've ended up in prison, so they haven't ended up there for no reason, but they'll be getting brighter walls to make sure they're in a better mood. And again, it's your money. Uh, You can text or WhatsApp 0862103103 or email right across the afternoon Cork Today at c103.ie but we're heading to Banning Colleague next to join Annalisa Drizel as she answers all your nutritional questions Cork Today on C103 and we're off to the health hub in Banning Colleague and joining Annalisa Drizel as we do each and every Monday good afternoon to you Annalisa and a lot of questions in as per usual so let's get straight into them and uh, one is from Christine and this is something we have spoken about before Uh, Christine Annalisa has an underactive thyroid now she's wondering is there any vitamins or supplements or any other items that you could recommend rather than her going on prescribed medication well I think it probably depends John Paul on why her thyroid is underactive so 
the thyroid needs certain minerals and vitamins in order to be able to function and certain proteins. And the main ones would be selenium, iodine, um, and then tyrosine is one of the proteins that we would commonly get from our food. And they're used in conjunction with a few small other things to make thyroid hormone. So if you're deficient in any of those, you would have an underactive thyroid because basically you're not providing it with the building blocks. However, most people who have underactive thyroid, it's more to do with an autoimmune condition. It's called Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And what it means is that the body itself produces antibodies and that attacks the thyroid. And eventually, you can start off often actually being hyperthyroid, having it, it, making it too quick. And then that can go into hypothyroid, low thyroid function. So in those cases, to be very honest, I would actually recommend taking the medication because there's little to no side effects to it and it does really, really help. So if your own thyroid can't make the thyroid hormone because it's been damaged, um, you know, you will absolutely have to take the medication. So for this um, listener who's rang in, I think the best thing to do is take a thyroid supplement. There's a very good one called BioNutri uh, Tyro, T-Y-R-O, Tyro Complex, and also Nutri Advanced do one. And if you take that for a couple of months and you notice no benefit, then go on the medication. Um, And for a lot of people as well, John Paul, I should mention, sometimes they feel the medication doesn't really work very well for them. And this could be because they're not converting the thyroid hormone within their cells very efficiently. So there is a great supplement for that by Nutri-Advanced again. They make something called um, Tyro-Convert, or sorry, T-Convert, and that helps you convert it into the active hormone within your cells, and then you get that good kick in energy and everything else that you'd be looking for. Okay, Christine, best of luck with that. And Anya wants to know, what is the best supplement that may help her? Because she recently was diagnosed with a partial torn rotator cuff in the shoulder and she's in her 60s. She's very fearful. It may get worse. So, okay, the, like really the, the biggest thing for that is rest when you have a torn and it can be like you could, it can lead to frozen shoulder in the end, which can take a long time and a lot of physio to get it right. So what I'd recommend in the short term is a couple of things. Uh, The first one, to bring down some inflammation. So I would take a very good quality, high-strength extract of turmeric, which is called curcumin. Uh, There's a couple that would really work. Um, The Nutri-Advanced, actually, company, they do one called Curcudine Forte, which is um, a combination of the curcumin extract and also boswellia which comes from frankincense and both of those are powerful natural anti-inflammatories but you'll get those as separate supplements than in any other health store as well then i would take something like um uh rux tox which is a homeopathic remedy that's very good for pulled muscles and tendons and then finally i would take collagen so collagen is very important to make sure that muscles can build but also the tendons can become lovely and elastic it's great for skin as well and it's very good for joint joints collagen is a building block for all of those so you'll get extra benefits so a combination of a nice anti-inflammatory that includes curcumin and maybe even boswellia rux tox which is the homeopathic remedy and a collagen and you're best going for marine collagen if you can and Mary's in Charnival. Now, Mary suffers with restless legs and she gets up every night nearly at 3 a.m. in the morning and gets into a cold bath. Now, she's very tired from this because of the lack of sleep. She is taking mega magnesium, but it always comes back to her at 3 a.m. where she has to get up. Is there anything you can recommend for her? And also, what can she or what can you recommend for fatigue? 
Okay, so it sounds to me like she's taking um, a supplement that has a lot of things in there for restless legs. I think it's called Mega Mag Muscle Ease. Um, and if that is helping, well, that's great. Maybe you're on the right track. Maybe you need to take a little bit extra, take a bigger dose of it. If it's not helping at all, then it, that's not the problem. Other reasons that you might get restless legs could be low iron, low B12 and low folate. So maybe you could get your blood checked at the doctor to see if that's the issue. And actually, there's a very simple um, um, thing to do before you go to bed, John Paul, that's brilliant for restless legs, and that will cost you nothing. It's literally stretching. So go onto YouTube and have a look for leg stretches and do those before you get into bed at night because sometimes it really is just to ease out the muscle itself before you go to bed. Even those stretches you can do in five minutes, you could do them throughout the day. So you could try those and then if they, um, your blood test does come back with low iron B12 and um, folic, then that would also be a reason for low energy and fatigue because they're needed to make your blood cells which carry oxygen around to every cell in the body. So a good iron supplement would be maybe one to try. Uh, there's one that we have here called um, Ferridine, F-E-R-R-D-Y-N. It's really gentle on the system and it has the B12 and folate in it as well. But a health shop will be able to offer you a good quality one. You're looking for one that's well absorbed and ideally get the B12 and folate. And B6 is a great one to have in there at the same time and a little bit of vitamin C for absorption. So that would be the first thing I'd recommend for both fatigue and restless legs. Okay, Mary, hopefully that helps you there in Charnival. And Kathleen has a rheumatoid arthritis. Now, with her rheumatoid arthritis, she takes the Revive Active and she also takes extra vitamin D with the methrexate as well as Revive Active and folic acid. So with all those, uh, can you give her any advice on how to deal with this? difficult one John Paul really to sum up because everybody is very different so rheumatoid arthritis being an autoimmune disease it's not just about supporting the joints it's also about rebalancing the immune system and when I see clients in clinics and even in the shop here for it what we try and look for is the drivers what could be driving that immune system to overreact in such a way and then the I suppose it's really as basic as that if you try and remove the drivers and they could be things like food intolerance um, problems with your gut because a lot of inflammation happens in the gut. Um, it could be heavy metal toxicity, could be environmental, could be stress related. Any of those could be possible drivers. So the idea is work on all of those and then the body will be as healthy as it possibly can be. And then, you know, with an anti-inflammatory approach, you could go into remission. But an off-the-shelf answer would be to take natural anti-inflammatories and something to support the joints. So at the very basic level, I'd recommend something like that one um, I mentioned earlier, the Nutri Advanced Curcudine Forte. We actually get very good feedback on that. Um, there's another, they do another um, supplement as well, which is called Opti Resol. And it's actually kind of made up of specific fish oils that have been modified in a way to help regulate inflammation. So they can be very good if you're in a flare-up. And then the last thing I'd recommend is the Gal UC2 cartilage, which is really, really good for helping to prevent, like to keep the cartilage between the joints intact, which is the problem with RA. So you could try a combination of the three of those and see how far you'd get. And Joan is in Dramahan. Some advice for Joan because her right hand is cold all the time. Now, it's not actually cold to touch, but it just feels painfully cold. Any advice or what could this be? 
okay, well, it's a very strange one um, because yeah. it's only the right hand and it's not the left and the feet. So it's probably not a circulatory issue. So, and I don't know, but I'm only just going to hazard a guess at this. I think maybe it could be something to do with nerve um, transmission down the hands um, or something that's trapped somewhere that's preventing proper nerve and blood flow getting down to the hand. And I know a lot of people that complain about numbness in the hand. It can be due um, due to um, a problem in the neck or the back where the nerve is trapped and the flow of the impulse isn't getting down correctly. So if you think that's the problem, you need to maybe go down a structural route. Um, the only other thing I could recommend is maybe that you use something like a, a, a balm that has warming chili oil or capacin in there or wintergreen, which kind of have very warming heating effect um, on a topical basis. And maybe something like that could work. And Tim wants to know if you can recommend any supplement for someone with slightly high blood pressure. So it's very hard to pin down lots of different causes for high blood pressure. But the first thing I would suggest is have a look online and print it off. It's called the DASH diet, D-A-S-H. And it's a diet that's naturally very, very low in sodium and salt. Um, so that one would be the, definitely the first place to start because a lot of the time it's diet related. A couple of different things can help really well in the diet as well. Both celery and beetroot have a fantastic effect on blood pressure. Celery because it's high in potassium and um, beetroot because it is high in something called nitrates which help to expand the blood vessels and the the more they're relaxed and expanded, the lower the blood pressure. So you could actually juice those every single day and have a glass of those. And then in terms of supplements, anything with kind of magnesium, coenzyme Q10, hawthorn, garlic, they will all help to, um, you know, manage your blood pressure. And also Hawthorne is very good for the health of the cells of the arteries and veins. And Terranova do a lovely one that is an all-in-one. And it's called Terranova Q10 Magnesium and Hawthorne. It said, does what it says on the tin. And you could try that for two or three months with the diet. But if your blood pressure is not coming down at that point, you'll definitely probably need to go on this, the, the tablets. OK, hopefully that helps you, Tim. Annalisa, thank you for that. And we'll chat Thanks to you again next all. Monday. Take care. That is Annalisa Drizel joining us from the Health Hub in Banning Colleague. You can check out everything she said on her website, thehealthhub.com, or indeed listen back and replay everything that she has said on our website, c103.ie, or even on the C103 app or wherever you get your podcast. My thanks to Bernie Murphy, who produced I'm John Paul McNamara. We'll chat to you tomorrow morning from 10am. Enjoy your Monday afternoon.